Mark 1. Conversations at the speed of sound. Members of the Aviation Historical Society are embarrassed. They are the proud owners of one Canberra jet bomber, but they have nowhere to put it. Hello and welcome to this episode of Mac One, the podcast of the Queensland Air Museum Caloundra. My name is Gary Hills. I am a QAM volunteer, I'm happy to say, and I will be your host for this episode, this penultimate episode for season one. That's right, episode 15. Next week will be the final episode for this season. I'll let you know more about that later. But in this episode, you will hear all about the beginning of the Queensland Air Museum. And what strikes me about this story is the tenacity and optimism evident in that small, determined band of people with no funds who believed in establishing a People's Aviation Museum. I was so thrilled to be able to sit down and talk with a founding member, Mr. Ron Cuskelly. What I just read to you was the opening sentence from a banner news item published in the Courier-Mail on Saturday, the 29th of December 1973, under the headline, A Bomber With Nowhere To Go. After that opening paragraph, the journalist, Mr. Alan Underwood, continued, They have paid $1,360 for the Air Force machine. Their deadline for taking it away from Amberley Air Base expired on December the 19th. The bomber still is on the RAAF base. The society faces three major problems. One, where to take the aircraft. Two, how to transport the 19.8-metre machine from Amberley to wherever it has to go. And three, what to do with 7,728 litres of kerosene still in the aircraft tanks. Now, Ron Cuskelly is the Queensland Air Museum historian, but his knowledge of the history of the QAM is very personal because Ron is one of the QAM's founding members. Ron joined Qantas straight out of high school in 1968 and became a load controller at Brisbane Airport, responsible for weight and balance of aircraft loads. He did that until 1999. Ron and I sat down together recently in Hangar 2, where the Canberra, number 225, is currently proudly displayed, and I asked Ron to take us back to the period leading up to the establishment of the Air Museum in 1974. Yes, well, I think a lot of people don't realise that we had to create an organisation to create the organisation, and uh, it it kicked off in uh, 1970 and uh, the local manager in Brisbane of Thomas Cook's travel agency, he was a member of the Aviation Historical Society of Australia and uh, Brian Eggleton decided there should be a Queensland chapter 
of the AHSA. So he contacted all the current members and uh, we had a meeting in his flat back in 1970 and uh, it was agreed that we'd take the plunge and form a local branch and uh, we had our first meeting in Qantas House in Queen Street the, the next month. And uh, that kept going mainly as a social activity, showing films, and we had some very interesting guest speakers come along, but uh, the numbers were small. That, that organisation is still operating, but um, really the, the emphasis moved to actually preserving aircraft, and uh, that's when we had to form another organisation to create a museum. And uh, we eventually decided on a, a name that was quite a mouthful. We were calling ourselves the Aviation Historical Society of Australia Limited Queensland Branch Aviation Museum Group. <laughs> it just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it, Ron? <laughs> yeah, and that, we, we selected that name in 1973. But uh, it didn't take much longer. It was only the next month that we started using the name Queensland Air Museum. And uh, our first foray into the preservation was, came at the time when the Commonwealth Government were disposing of Canberra bombers. There were 17 of them up for sale at Amberley, RAF Base. So um, we decided uh, amongst us that, yes, we should submit a tender and uh, all we could afford was a nominal tender of one dollar. But we figured it wouldn't be accepted, and indeed it wasn't, but the objective was to get our name on the books, uh, to let the authorities know what a serious contender we were. But um, there was a lot of toing and froing after that um, nominal tender, and uh, eventually the Department of Supply, as it was then, got back to us and uh, offered us a Canberra uh, if we could increase our offer somewhat. And the price they put on it was $1,360. Not a lot for an aeroplane, but in 1973 it was a substantial amount of money and the organisation didn't have any. So uh, three of our founding members uh, contributed... Uh, loans to enable the, the tender to go through and uh, we then had the predicament of finding somewhere to put our Canberra bomber. So our then president Richard Hitchens uh, contacted the aviation writer at the Courier Mail to see if he could stir up a bit of publicity for us and indeed publicity is what we got because we got uh, a banner headline across the front page of the Courier-Mail immediately below their masthead. So money can't buy a position like that. So uh, the headline was, a bomber with nowhere to go. Um, now, for our listeners, the, the uh, Canberra was twin-engine jet bomber, served with the Australian Air Force. Just talk us through, like it sounds to me, you make it sound rather simple, expensive, but simple to the Department of Supply say we're, we're shedding these aircraft, anybody wants one they can have one. What kind of restrictions or requirements were placed upon you as part of the, the arrangement to take, to take charge of this aircraft? Well, the, the most um, stringent requirement was that we have to, had to move it out of Amberley by a certain date. 
and as that date was approaching uh, we had an event in history which is remembered as the Australia Day floods. This was 1974. So we had to seek an extension which we got and uh, all this time we're evaluating all the offers of sites that came in through all the newspaper publicity and uh, eventually we decided on a, a site at Curraby on the south of Brisbane where the Hunter family, who were the, then the contract, garbage contractors to the Brisbane City Council, they were developing a museum of horse-drawn vehicles and they wanted an attraction to go at the front of their premises to draw attraction to the museum and uh, they saw our problem so they invited us to put the Canberra on their property at Curraby. So um, we agreed to that. It seemed like an ideal place for, to start a museum. And uh, we set about uh, dismantling the Canberra. And uh, to that end, we had some assistance from the RAAF. They were very good. They um, assigned a senior NCO to assist us. And a comical event when this NCO turned up, his name was um, Sergeant Overall. And, of course, he had his name patch on his overalls, which said, overall. And uh, one of our founding members at the time, Barry Flood, was tempted to turn up at Amberley with a shirt, with a patch on it saying shirt. But it never went that far. But they, they were very good to us. And uh, So you have to dismantle it and put it on trucks. Uh, does your team have experience with this kind of a project? None whatsoever. No, or the tools, or the... We were totally green, but uh, we, we were convinced there should be an aviation museum for the people of Queensland. It wasn't to be a private collection. So uh, we set about dismantling this Canberra, and uh, first of all we had to remove uh, quite a lot of jet fuel from it. Uh, that was uh, pumped into 44-gallon drums and that was given away to a local farmer who used it for weed killer. Okay. So um, then we set about dismantling the aeroplane itself and we used, a, with the recommendation of the RAF, we used a method that hadn't been tried before. Normally they would take the wings off, mm -hmm. but um, the RAF suggested we try removing the forward fuselage and the, the rear fuselage and because uh, there were transport joints in the aeroplane there but it meant removing hundreds of bolts but uh, and then you would transport the entire wingspan with the engines fitted on a, a low loader and it was a horrendous looking load but it was it was balanced and it worked and that's how we transported the Canberra to uh, Karabi. And did you have any assistance with reassembly, like, or did you basically were left on your own at that point? No, well, having dismantled it, that taught us how to reassemble it, so that wasn't such a problem for us. But uh, we had to go and seek assistance from uh, uh, transport companies, and to that end, Brambles were very good to us. They gave us a good deal. Now, so, so you've mentioned Currabee and the bomber with nowhere to go. Uh, I think between 1973, which is what we're talking at this point, and 1986, the collection grew, but also the need for a location was a constant challenge. Is that right? 
Well, it was because uh, we thought we had it made with the move to Currabee, but but sadly the, that uh, collection uh, went into liquidation and we had to move. And uh, the best uh, we could offer we could find was a former orchard at Lower Nudgee, which is not far from Brisbane Airport. Mm. And uh, we were we were given a grazing lease on this site uh, where our aeroplanes grazed for a number of years. By this time we had the Canberra, uh, we had a Meteor, which was actually flown into Archerfield on delivery. It had been in service as a target tug out at Woomera and uh, that was an outright gift from the British Ministry of Defence. They flew the aeroplane from Woomera to Archerfield and handed us the keys. It was unfortunate in one respect because uh, the pilot who flew the aeroplane over was on the verge of retirement and he was hoping to do a small aerobatic display over Archerfield on arrival. But um, it wasn't to be because the Meteor has a, a ventral fuel tank and the, the valve to the tank was stuck so he couldn't access the fuel and was on the verge of declaring an emergency and diverting to Amberley, which wouldn't have done us any good. But he had just enough fuel to get into Archerfield, but unfortunately no aerobatic display to close out his career. And so by this stage you have the Canberra, you have the Meteor TT20. Was that the entire collection at that point? Uh, with the Sea Venom, yes. Sea yeah. Once we'd moved all the aircraft down to Nudgee, it uh, was a pretty remote site. There wasn't a lot of tourism traffic down that way but uh, we'd always wanted to be on an airport we thought that was the logical place for an air museum um, we were hoping to have a site at Archerfield near the Aero Club but um, although the Aero Club was very supportive the Commonwealth Government demanded rental fees that were beyond us so uh, we're, we're at Nudgee always wanting to be on an airport and uh, not long after we moved in, we found out that we weren't going to an airport, an airport was coming to us. They were redeveloping Brisbane Airport and uh, our site was going to be part of the floodway. So uh, we were then faced with uh, moving the aircraft again and uh, it got a rather serious situation with a lot of correspondence with the federal government and uh, eventually uh, I think our president threatened to donate the collection to the government and that forced their hand and they uh, they found a, a what they called a temporary holding area on Brisbane Airport adjacent to the old cross runway there and uh, we set about moving the Canberra for the third time onto this temporary holding area which we weren't permitted to open to the public so it wasn't a very satisfactory arrangement for us. And I think at some point in this part of the story there was a connection with Tahiti, is that right? Yes, we were contacted by a a pilot in Tahiti whose father had owned a Sandringham flying boat which once belonged to Sir Gordon Taylor. It was his frigate Bird 3. And uh, Sir Gordon Taylor sold the aeroplane to this airline in Tahiti and they used it for many years on passenger services. 
uh, until it was withdrawn from service and uh, the owner contacted us and asked us if we wanted it, which of course we did. Not only was it a, a significant type of aircraft, it had a very famous connection. So uh, we set about trying to fund transportation from Tahiti to Australia and we didn't have much success with that. But we did send uh, several of our members over to Tahiti. They did some repairs on the aircraft. They repaired its beaching gear. They washed the aircraft and uh, painted it where the paint had uh, peeled off. So they did a lot and repaired broken windows and things like that. So that was an interim measure, but not long after that, the writing was on the wall that we couldn't get the finance to transport it. And then we had a request from the Musée de l'Air in Paris. Uh, they expressed an interest in the aeroplane because it was last on the, on the French register in, in okay. uh, Tahiti. Cool. And uh, we happily relinquished ownership to them. And uh, in due course, they dismantled the aircraft and transported it to Paris, where it's on display now. So the aeroplane was saved. It wasn't a total loss. Picture yourself strapped into the pilot seat of an F-111 strike aircraft. Introducing the Queensland Air Museum's ultimate F-111 experience. Spend a couple of hours with our guides, RAAF Air Vice Marshal retired David Dunlop and Air Commodore retired Peter Grouder, who will take you through the experience in a clear, easy to understand and highly enjoyable manner. After a mission briefing, you'll be introduced to the aircraft features and controls before strapping into the cockpit to go through your checklist procedures. Bookings are restricted to a maximum of two people in a group, so personal attention is assured. The ultimate F-111 experience. Costs and booking details are available on the Queensland Air Museum website. Uh, you keep using the word we. Just tell us how many people you're talking about here. How big was your membership? What kind of resources did you have at this time? Well, virtually nothing. Um, members, active members, probably a dozen. Um, certainly no funds. It was uh, beg, borrow and steal. Including the option for a location, which is still really unsettled, isn't it, for you? Yes, we're still on this temporary holding area at Brisbane Airport. and. Uh, hoping for something better and uh, one day uh, President Richard Hitchens was uh, getting ready to go to work in the morning and he received a telephone call from the regional director of the Department of Civil Aviation saying oh, I want you out at your aeroplane at the airport straight away I can't tell you what it's about so uh, so he got in his car and went out to the airport so this is the Canberra he's talking is, about yeah and uh, it turned out that someone had fired a projectile at the Canberra, actually hit the aircraft, it made a hole in the Bombay door, and this was intended as a demonstration of what an extortionist would do to a TAA aircraft if he was not paid a significant amount of money. So we were now embroiled in a, 
in a criminal case that um, brought world headlines. Eventually, um, I believe they apprehended the individual and uh, the damaged bomb door was uh, removed from the aeroplane as evidence and it finished up at Amberley and uh, the RAF gave us the choice of uh, would you like us to repair it or would you like us to give you a new one? So we thought, well, the one with the hole and it's got more history now, so just patch it up for us and we'll have it back. So uh, that was the highlight of our time on Brisbane Airport. Around this time, you know, we had, it wasn't just the aircraft, we had engines and comp other okay. components, okay. and they were scattered all over the country. We had material in a DCA shed at Navy Street near the airport. We had items in a Queensland government shed up at Wyvernhoe Dam. Uh, we had a library in uh, an office in George Street in the city, which was given to us by the Queensland government. We had an aircraft in the wool sheds down at Hendra. We had an aircraft at the Royal Queensland Aero Club at Archerfield and a lot of stuff in members' houses. So we really needed a home. Another funny incident happened while we were at Brisbane Airport. We, we knew we'd have to move out of there. So every time you move aeroplanes, you need lots of tyres, old tyres for packing. and. Um, for one of the aircraft we needed specifically two large truck tyres. So we put out a, a request to a local uh, tyre dealer for two truck tyres and the next time we turned up at the airport there was this vast mound of tyres next to the aircraft. What we got were two truckloads of tyres. And in those days it was common to use old tyres on practice fires for the um, fire services at the airport. But this was also around the time that the practice was banned. So there was uh, a particularly bad smell about old tyres at that time and this came to the attention of the, the Minister for Civil Aviation, or he was Minister for Transport then I think, and uh, we didn't have a very happy relationship with this man but um, he got to see, he, he visited Brisbane Airport on an inspection and he saw this vast mound of tyres there and uh, apparently blew his top. So we, we eventually got notice that our permissive occupancy at Brisbane Airport would cease and uh, we'd have to find a new home. Can, can I ask, I'm just sitting here thinking about what it must have been like through those, those early years. You had so many uncertainties, so many challenges, so few resources, so few members. Were there times when you felt that this just wasn't worth it or did you feel like, did you have a certainty that this was worth persisting with? Well we were determined that Queensland should have an aviation museum and it was always proposed that it would be the People's Museum, it's not a private collection and there was nothing in southeast Queensland at the time and uh, it's a, a tribute to the early members that they persevered with this concept but uh, we as a result of our eviction from Brisbane Airport we uh, again called upon the media for publicity and uh, before long we had offers of several sites they were Caloundra, Redcliffe, Caboolture, Gold Coast, Toowoomba and even an offer from Longreach. And uh, 
to his lasting credit, uh, Councillor John Harrison from the, what was then the Lansborough Shire Council, it's now the Caloundra Council, he uh, saw the benefit in having an aviation museum on the Sunshine Coast and he contacted us and uh, made an offer of a site on Caloundra Aerodrome. But around the same time, um, we had a, another offer from, uh, from Caboolture, which was much closer to all our members. They were Brisbane-based. And we'd virtually decided that Caboolture was the, the best place for us to go. But um, then again, to his great credit, Councillor John Harrison lobbied the council and uh, dipped into his tourism budget, and he upped the ante by offering a building which is our hangar number one, which is uh, where we now house our F-111. Uh, so this is 1986? 1986, yeah. yes. And at that point, how large was the collection? How many aircraft and engines would you have had at that point to relocate? Well, engines probably 10 or so, but aircraft, we, we had the Canberra, the Meteor, uh, two Sea Venoms by then, and uh, a Drover. So then came the task, you've, you've got a location, you've got a hangar, which, which is gold, uh, and you have to relocate the collection to here. This is the same small group of people you have to dismantle, you have to truck, you have to reassemble. Is, is that the process, just getting everything here? Yeah, yeah. yeah it was uh, repeat the process. And uh, we moved smaller items over several weeks. We had some material stored in a, an empty service station in Bullcock Street. Mm -hmm. That was another temporary site. <laughs> but uh, once the building was ready, uh, we had an overnight convoy to move uh, three aeroplanes at once. We moved the Canberra, the Meteor and the Sea Venom overnight and they arrived up here in June 86. After we'd moved here, we then began recruiting local volunteers and we always saw the Sunshine Coast as uh, that was one of its biggest selling points. There were a lot of retired people here, a lot of them from airlines and air force and so forth and sure enough they soon started gravitating to the museum and uh, we built up a, a good team of volunteer workers. And you've managed to find a location within an airport precinct, which is perfect. We've got aircraft being able to be delivered here, haven't we? Like the, uh, the Wirraway, for example, which flew in here as, as part of the, uh, the acquisition of that aircraft. And as you say, there are now a, a larger and uh, perhaps more diverse group of people who are able to volunteer here and support uh, the, the effort. The opening ceremony must have been quite something for you in 1987. Yes, it was very emotional actually for multiple reasons. Um, our patron around the time was Air Vice Marshal Don Bennett, famous Queensland aviator. And uh, at one stage, when, when we told him that we'd secured a permanent site at Caloundra, we asked him would he be able to come for the opening ceremony and he said he'd, he'd get there if he had to walk. But um, sadly, uh, that never came to pass because uh, Don Bennett passed away suddenly. His lovely wife, Lee Bennett, uh, agreed to come out here to unveil the museum. And that happened on the 4th of April 1987, by which time we'd moved to Canberra four times. So 
we we were determined that Caloundra is going to be our permanent home. We've got no intention of moving anywhere else. And you know, I, I first came in here as a visitor, I think in the 19, late 1980s, not long after the, you know, I was a, a boy, uh, we were on holidays. I was absolutely captivated by the display here as an aviation enthusiast myself. And I've come back many times over the years and the collection has grown, hasn't it? It's incredible to see it today. And it's a fantastic credit to everyone who was involved to bring this idea into being, into fruition. And it, it kind of makes me a little emotional even to think about it because of the, the importance of uh, a place like this for the history as well as the future, I think, of, of our people, of our country. And so, uh, you know, we can sit here today in Hangar 2 right almost under the wings of the Canberra where there's a, a repaired bullet hole in the, in the Bombay door and we're surrounded by, well, a, a great collection of aircraft, military and civil on a property of six acres, two hectares, with two hangars, multiple workshops. It's just a marvellous story, Ron, and I would like to ask you if it's possible to continue this story at another time. I would love to hear how it got from that opening ceremony to the way it is today, and I'd be particularly interested, if you're interested in, in, in sharing your thoughts about where the future might be for the Queensland Air Museum too, because it's not over yet, is it? Well, the interesting thing is, not long after we opened here in Caloundra, we set up a visitor's book near the front door. And we got lots of interesting comments in the visitor's book. But one that really stuck in my mind was, will be good when it's finished. <laughs> That's I can't interesting. That it ever will be finished. And let's hope it's never finished, because that's a good thing, isn't it? Thank you so much, Ron Cuskelly. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, and I hope we can talk further. But thank you for talking to me today. Yeah, happy to do that, Gary. We'll be good when it's finished. That is quite thought-provoking, is it not? And we, of course, hope that the Queensland Air Museum will never be finished... To me as a volunteer in the present, surrounded by a hundred or so volunteers, we're all volunteers at the QAM, there is a sense of optimism and enthusiasm for a future for this museum. And we are going to end our first season of Mac One next week by exploring something of that future with the current QAM president, Bill Trail and a couple of other people who I know you'll find interesting. An aerospace scientist, for example, who I bumped into wandering around taking in our collection not long ago, and also an instructor in aerospace futures. So that's next week. Don't forget you can share in the conversation by commenting and viewing photos and videos of our episodes in the Mac One Hangar on wordpress.com. And please, if you believe in the usefulness and the quality of this podcast, it would help a lot for you to give us a rating, a good rating, of course, and leave a review on your podcast platform of choice so that others may too join our community of enthusiasts keen to continue the preservation of Australia's 
aviation heritage. And if you can, come and visit us in Pathfinder Drive, Caloundra. We're open from 10 until 4 every day except Christmas Day and Easter Friday. Come and see us soon.